0: Hello and Happy New Year. This is Reverend Judith Laxer. Thank you for listening to the podcast of our service entitled Revolutionary Love. My wish is that the food for thought offered brings great nourishment for your soul. Gaia's Temple, a loving ministry for the goddess, is supported solely by those like you who partake of its teachings. If everyone donated just $5 each time they tune in, that would ensure our continuance. If you feel served by listening, please push the donate button now and give generously. We'd be most grateful. Thank you and blessed be. All right, my friends, well, here we are in 2022, which reduces to the number six, which is a number of balance. You know, in my um, personal bio, like on my website, My tagline has read for many, many years, Judith dedicates her work to restoring balance between feminine and masculine energies in our culture. The Gaius Temple vision is to create balance in the world through the worship of the divine feminine. So whether that's by learning about goddesses from different cultures, or by revering nature and her cycles, or by putting into practice ways that sustain life on our precious mother earth, or all three, which is what I strive to have happen here in Gaia's temple, it is balance that we are after. A few years ago, and I looked to see exactly which service I used this in, and it was like going down the rabbit hole. I, I, I couldn't find it, but a few years ago, I used a quote for my closing thought, you know, the end of every service, I, I end with a closing thought, that I had found by a woman named Valerie Kaur. And this was the quote. What if this darkness is not the darkness of the tomb, but the darkness of the womb. What if our America is not dead, but a country still waiting to be born? What if the story of America is one long labor? What if all the mothers who came before us, who survived genocide and occupation, slavery and Jim Crow, racism and xenophobia and Islamophobia, political uh, oppression, and sexual assault are standing behind us now, whispering in our ear, you are brave. What if this is our great contraction before we give birth to a new future? Remember the wisdom of the midwife. Breathe, she says, then push. Now it is time to breathe. But soon it will be time to push. Soon it will be time to fight for those we love, Muslim father, sick son, trans daughter, indigenous brother, immigrant sister, white worker, the poor and forgotten, the ones and the ones who cast their vote out of resentment and fear. Let us make an oath to fight for the soul of America. As Langston Hughes said, the land that has never been yet and yet must be. Let us make an oath to fight for the soul of America with revolutionary love and relentless optimism. That was the quote. I was so inspired by that quote. I loved her use of the birthing metaphor, how the moment of birth feels just like death that very moment, how the midwife knows that we must keep breathing in order to birth something new, that first we breathe and then we push. So then last year I came upon another quote that I loved, uh, one you might also remember that I used more recently in a service, and that quote went like this, what has been an ancient spiritual truth is now increasingly verified by science. We are all indivisibly part of one another we share a common ancestry with everyone and everything alive on earth the air we breathe contains atoms that have passed through the lungs of ancestors long dead our bodies are composed of the same elements created deep inside the furnaces of long dead stars we can look upon the face of anyone or anything around us and say as a moral declaration and as a spiritual cosmological, and biological fact. You are a part of myself. I do not yet know. And when I saw the author's name again, Valerie Kaur, I thought, who is this woman? (laughs) I love everything she says. So Valerie Kaur, K-A-U-R, is a renowned civil rights leader, a lawyer, an award-winning filmmaker, educator, innovator, and best-selling author of See No Stranger. She leads the Revolutionary Love Project to reclaim love as a force for justice. Valerie burst onto the American consciousness in the wake of the 2016 election when her watch night service address went viral with 40 million views worldwide. Her question, is this the darkness of the tomb or the darkness of the womb, reframed, the political moment, and became a mantra for people fighting for change. Now, Valerie is a Sikh woman. Now, I had always said that that religion was Sikh. I'd always thought of it as the Sikh religion, S-I-K-H, but it's actually pronounced Sikh, which is interesting for us English speakers because then we say, oh, well, Valerie is a Sikh woman, and we know Sikh to mean someone's ill, but she is not ill. She is one of the healthiest women I have ever heard speak about anything, anywhere. Sick. She is a sick woman. Sikhism is the world's fifth most popular religion. It is a monotheistic faith that believes in equality and service to others. Equality and service to others are the prime tenets of the faith. And this is where we, a polytheistic faith, um, really dovetail well in the equality and the service to others part. Sikhism was established in the late 15th century in the Punjab region of India by Guru Nanak, who was a non-practicing Hindu who experienced a spiritual revelation about equality and oneness. And this was not long after the Brits came in and colonized India. And what they did was they created the caste system, like. White supremacy does everywhere it goes. And so the teachings of Sikhism denounce the caste system that is still to this day prevalent in India. So he was a non-practicing Hindu, which is the prevalent religion of that area. But then he had a revelation about oneness and equality, which renounced the caste system, and that became the Sikh religion. So we see a faith path here that arose out of a socio-political cause. So, Valerie Kaur. So, in looking her up, first I found her TED Talk. If you haven't seen her TED Talk, visit TED Talk for Valerie Kaur and watch it. I just blew my mind and I adored her. I fell in love with her work. And then I read her memoir, See No Stranger, which is both a memoir and a manifesto. Uh, I have just recently completed her 10-day course of study on her work called Revolutionary Love. And it is magnificent. And it is spire inspiring and it is difficult and it is beautiful and i couldn't wait to share it with you there is so much about it that i decided to make revolutionary love the overarching theme for 2022 so that we can explore the steps in learning how to love revolutionarily together over time So then I went to my friend, Oriel Lighton, who is a brilliant songwriter and a beautiful singer, and I asked her to write us a chant for this service and one that we can use ongoingly on revolutionary love. And she wrote one called So Love, So, S-O-W, So, the So Love chant. And so she's going to come on and she's going to teach it to us. Uh, Simone the drummer is here who's going to drum behind. But before we go to her, I want to, we want to be able to have you still see her and also see the lyrics that we put up on the screen. So if you're at a computer, you will probably notice that Um, on the right side of your screen there's like a little line at the edge of the frame and you can drag that to the side and then it will make uh, both of the pictures equal distant Uh, but if not you'll still be able to see her and read the lyrics so take it away oriel and teach us your beautiful song please
1: hi everybody okay yeah so you can just like make Keep me like that size or scoop me over if you if you need to. Alright, so we're gonna I'm gonna teach you the chant first. And Simone, my good friend, is here with me to drum. And here we go. So what I'm gonna do is the the we are sewing, we are growing, we bestow love is the chorus. So the first chorus we're gonna do call and response. But after that, after the, the, the verses, um, we're going to do the together so that we don't sing it six times. We don't need to sing it six times after that. So here we go. So I'll point to you when you're supposed to sing, okay? And so it'll be really easy. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love.
2: We are sowing, we are growing, growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are
3: growing,
2: we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we
1: bestow love
3: the solution. So we love,
2: so I love. We are part of the solution. So we love, so I love. And we stir the revolution. So we love,
3: so I love.
2: And we stir the revolution. So we love, so I love. We, so we, love, so I love. we are sowing, we are growing. We bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing. We bestow love. We see mothers, we see brothers. So we love. So I love. We see mothers, we see brothers. So we love. So I love.
3: And I tend myself and others so we love. So I love.
2: And I tend myself and others, so we love, so I love.
3: They are takers and heartbreakers, so we love, so I love.
2: They are takers and heartbreakers, so we love, so I love. Dare to wonder what
3: lies under, so we
2: love, so I love. Dare to wonder what lies under. So we love, so I love. We are sowing, we are sowing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we, 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 we are growing, we bestow love. all right now, it's
1: really good. Now we're gonna just sing the whole thing all together all right so you see up there how many times you to sing it we got this and nobody can hear you
2: mess up so we're cool here we go we are sowing, we are growing we bestow love we are sowing, we are growing we bestow love we are plowing, we are growing we bestow love we are part of the solution, so we love, so I love. And we stir the revolution, so we love, so I love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love we see mothers we see brothers so we love so i love and i tend myself and others so we love so i love they are takers and heartbreakers so we love so i love dare to wonder what lies under so we love so i love we are sowing we are growing we bestow love we are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love. We are sowing, we are growing, we bestow love.
0: Thank you so much, Oriel. Oh, I love that chant. I love how trancy it is. I love every word of it. I love all of it thank you so much and i love you so revolutionary love i want to talk to you about revolutionary love revolutionary love is a movement it is an orientation to life it is a way of being it is inclusive and it is practiced by people of many faiths so we might say it's interfaith and revolutionary love is necessary for our times. Now, I pondered whether to use a theme for a whole year. Part of me wondered if that might be like too big of an undertaking. Part of me wondered if it could be sustained over that long. Part of me wondered if that might be a a little limiting, like one theme for an entire year. But a lot of my colleagues do that. They'll, They'll choose a theme for the year, and then they'll explore it from different angles and I just decided that I was gonna go for it. I deeply contemplated this particular theme, uh, but in the end, changing how we love is necessary for our times. You know, we do love. We, We love. We're loving beings. We love the people that we love. We love our ice cream. We love nature. We love all kinds of things. So we already love, and we already know how to love. But we need to learn how to love a little differently now, because we're living in a different time, in a time that requires a different kind of love. This is why it's called revolutionary love, because it's sort of like, I don't want to say the next level, like it's better than worse, but I would say that it is more expanded and it is a force for healing. And so it's necessary for these times. We need to make sure that we stay loving. And that is necessary for these times because with all the hardships that we are experiencing, and I don't have to list them, we all know from climate change down to the great divide, just about everywhere you look, it's very easy to shut down, separate, to continue in this divide. And so learning how to love and to stay loving is necessary for our times. One of the things that I loved about Valerie Kaur's work, and I'm probably gonna say that line a million times this year, but one of the things that I love so much is she asks this question. If all the faith paths, if all the major faith paths of our planet, at the core of almost all of them, is love, if at the core of our faith paths is love, Why is our world the way it is? Why is it that we are taught this deeply spiritually? This is what we're taught to follow and live like. And then the world is the way it is, which is not very loving. Why is that? That's a big question. Uh Uh-oh. You know, Mari, I'm just going to say that's the sound we heard before we resumed last time. So just to toss that up uh so where was i yes and the other thing that she says about love that i adored is that love is not so much just what we think of it as a rush of emotion that comes forth oh i love this feels so good it's love but it's more like sweet labor love is sweet labor it's an ongoing thing even when it's difficult and revolutionary love certainly has its challenges to it um But love as sweet labor is revolutionary because like I said, it's easy to love what we already love and it's easy to love it in the way that we already do. But to expand on that, to expound upon that is revolutionary. I felt when I heard Valerie speak that I am so deeply aligned with these teachings that it feels to me like I have already somehow been preaching revolutionary love for over 20 years. (laughs) over 21 years it's just like yeah 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 it just felt so i felt so aligned with her i felt like i had met a kindred spirit when i met valerie um even though i've only met her virtually and she hasn't met me i've met her but i've I've just been so engaged and involved in her work recently that i feel like she's a dear friend of mine and um not for nothing but just the other day she liked a comment of mine on social media and i was like it felt so wonderful. Her work is community strengthening, which I really appreciate because I love my community. I love my congregation. I love you all here in Gaia's temple. I really enjoy this soulful engagement that we have. I feel committed to supporting this loving community in every way that I can. So her work really just got in, you know. Now, Warning, uncomfortable feelings may loom larger in your rear view mirror than they actually are. Actually, they might loom larger, not just in your rear view mirror, but right in front of your face. And sometimes they are just as large as they look. This is the difficult work of sweet labor. When she uses the metaphor of birthing, birthing is not an easy thing to do. It is difficult. What I love about this work is that it teaches us how to bear the difficulties that we encounter. Now, it would be wonderful if we didn't have to bear any difficulties, but the reality is that we do, and we are, and we will. And so then the question becomes, how do I bear these? How do I be with these difficulties that don't um, sort of push me back into bad behavior, immature ways of being and thinking, or that contribute to the hardship? How can I bear these and be with these in a sort of elevated way that comes from a place of courage and conviction, which is beautiful? It also teaches us how to be the midwives of what we wish to give birth to. And that, my friends, is a good skill set to have. I also loved that these teachings helped me feel brave as well as inspired me. Bravery and inspiration, things that seem to be pretty scarce these days. It was like a breath of fresh air and a drink of clear cold water and all the metaphors of everything that's wonderful and restorative. So the birthing metaphor that Valerie brings also felt to me like the great mother was speaking to my soul. It reminded me, you know, she speaks a thousand languages, she speaks with the same tongue. So here is a woman who is from a different faith of mine uh, than mine, but we are so completely aligned And that also speaks to what revolutionary love is all about, because we don't have to be exactly the same and we don't have to follow the same anything. We don't even have to think the same way in order for our love to be a healing force in the world. I mean, there just was nothing about it that I thought, oh, no, that won't fit. Oh, no, that's not it. It was like, yes, 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 with everything that I learned and with every time I heard her speak. So. The teachings of revolutionary love offer us a way to use our love as a force for healing in the world. They offer us ways, practices, and principles to put into action to shift how we love. It's gorgeous. The other thing, and she said this over and over and over, is that revolutionary love is practiced in community. And this was a prime reason for my falling in love with it, pun intended. It connects communities more deeply when we know that we are practicing this together. Also, and this was perhaps a very practical reason, but also a beautiful reason, is that each one of us is going to have a different role in revolutionary love in any given moment, in any situation. There's no one role, this is what I do, this is all that I do all the time, because in the Back and forth, and the on and off, and the up and down of living, we're going to encounter all kinds of situations where we can apply revolutionary love. And we will be in different situations, and so we can't only be one thing all the time. The example that she uses is uh, you know, if you are the person on the ground and someone's knee is on your neck, it is not your job to look up at your assailant and send them love. Your job is to take another breath and try to stay awake, uh, alive. But the rest of us witnessing it, then it's our job to try to come in and stop that harm from happening. So there might be time when I'm the one that's being attacked, but there might be another time when I see someone being attacked, and then it is my impetus to keep them from harm. And so It's practiced in community, and we must practice all of these practices so that we are adept, no matter what it is that comes up. And the feeling that we're all in that together and that we can rely on each other to step up into a place where we are not able to is just beautiful. And it feels safe. And it's community building. It's gorgeous. The other thing is that learning all of the steps on the path of revolutionary love felt very integral to me. There was a wholeness to it. And that also just like landed in there like, yes, 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 there's no, it's only for this person or it's only for this particular group or only those with this kind of privilege can do it. It's, it's for everyone. And it feels like wholeness, which is how we heal. So it also felt just perfect. So. That was what I wanted to say about why I chose it and my feelings behind this work so that I, you understand why it is that I am offering it to us um, in every way. It just felt aligned with the feminine. It felt aligned with who we are as a congregation. And it certainly feels aligned with what we want for our world, which is more love. There can never be enough love, healing love. So what she offers, what Valerie Core offers is the compass of revolutionary love it's this little written icon and it is the spiritual tool that i think is going to dovetail also quite nicely with the magic that we do in guy's temple in an ongoing way so that was just like the final check mark like yep okay here we go so the compass has three parts to it and the revolutionary love is learning what we will learn is how to love others and in that section of the compass, there are three principles to see no stranger. Uh, in that, I'm sorry, in that part of the compass of loving others, the principle is to see no stranger. And then there are three actions in order to do that. One, the first one is to wonder, the second is to grieve, and the third is to fight. And that was interesting to me because I think of myself as a pacifist. I'm like, I don't think I want to learn how to fight. And I'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, But it's just magnificent. So the first part, in order to love others, begins by seeing no stranger. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later here today. But I did want to just give you the overall uh, picture so that you know where it is that we're, where the compass is leading us. The second part of the compass is to love our opponents. This is a big one. And, of course, our opponents, our opponent is defined as anybody whose practices and beliefs either go against our own or can harm us. And um, the principle under loving our opponents is to tend the wound. And I've said this so often, right? Wounded people wound people. We can look at the worst people in the world who are doing the most harm. And it's not like what this is not an excuse for what they do. But if we come to understand that they are acting out of a wounded place, then we have some sort of an in there to let love in somehow to bring that healing and under that the three actions under tend the wound are rage listen and reimagine those were also just beautiful and then the third part of the compass is to love ourselves and under that it's breathe push and transition. And then the 10th principle or perhaps what we could say is that the center of the wheel or the center of the compass is joy. That all of it that we try to cultivate as much joy as we do this and that in doing this we find more joy even in the difficult challenges that we face. So the first part of the compass is where we're going to start here right here on January 2022. And we're starting with loving others. And the first principle is to see no stranger. To see no stranger. Which means that everyone that you see, even if you don't know them or have never met them, is a part of you that you do not yet know. So that's the question we keep asking ourselves or we keep reminding ourselves Every time we encounter somebody, whether that's at the grocery store, or in the parking lot, or on screen, or at work, or anywhere in our lives, whenever we see someone else that we don't know, we can think, you are the part of me I do not yet know. You are the part of me I do not yet know. And what this does is it humanizes that person it brings us in connection with that person, and then it gets us to start thinking about, well, on the one hand, how people can look at us and say, we're strange. (laughs) We're the stranger, right? But it orients your mind toward what might be common between us. Even if we have radically different ideas about everything or anything, there's still something common, even if it's just that we're both humans sharing Mother Earth. You are the part of me I don't yet know. And so a great way to do that, she says, is in your mind, as you look at these people in your world, like at the grocery store or wherever you encounter them, address them in your mind as a family member, auntie, uncle, sister, brother. No matter who they are, in your mind, just go, oh, grandma, if it's an elder woman, grandpa, if it's an old older man, name them as someone in your family. So just for example, the other day, I was pulling out of the parking lot of a grocery store and somebody had a big van had parked, you know, the wrong way, taking up three spots, you know, just the whole thing, just crazy thing. And just immediately, out comes my judgment, What's the matter with that person? Can't they see me? the, line of the resort? You know, just like, look at that clown. Like, immediately the judgment. I didn't even see the person. I don't know the person. And I'm angry that they're not following the rules and they're the problem. As I pulled up and looked over, I could see that the gentleman was on his phone and his eyebrows were knit together and he looked upset. And I thought, brother. And immediately it switched from, okay, here's a clown who just doesn't care about anyone else to somebody who's probably grappling with some horrible situation right now and he can't worry about where the lines are, about where he's supposed to park. And my compassion for this stranger all of a sudden became my brother and he was not so strange anymore and it completely shifted the whole thing and mostly it completely shifted me. I drove off sending him blessings and love and I hope everything's okay in your family. It was like, switch the whole thing just by thinking of this man who I didn't know as my brother. So try it, it's amazing. Try it, you'll like it. The next, uh, the, the, the thing to do, the first practice in seeing no stranger is to wonder, to wonder about them. The practice of wonder brings us into the place of awe and openness and curiosity. It is an orientation to humility, meaning that we open to what we don't already know. So like in the parking lot, right? I immediately knew that this was a clown who didn't care about anybody else. That's what I just jumped through and that jumped to, and that was a knowing. But if I wondered about him, If I didn't go with what I thought I already knew, I was opening up to a possibility that something else might be going on that I knew nothing about. And you know, we live in a culture where being right is everything, you know? We have to be right, we have to be in the know, we have to be the authority. Oh my God, what a burden, you know? So when we return to wonder, we're opening up for more information beyond what we already know. It is beautiful and it's liberating. It's absolutely liberating. Valerie says, you know, we belong to one another. We belong to one another. Not you're the problem, get out. But we belong to one another. And if we wonder about everyone else's being a part of us, then we belong to each other. We become more like family we can relax a little bit. We can feel a little bit safer instead of constantly stealing against what's coming at us next. Now, listen, you know, we're living in a pandemic. This, is, this virus has been silent and invisible and it's been this threat for two years. I mean, just as I talk, I can feel my shoulders reaching up to my ears. It's like, wow. You know, everything feels threatening. So, If we belong to one another we take a deep breath and immediately the threat just sort of drops now i don't say throw caution to the wind but we can also give a little grace we can give a little grace to see is this really threatening am i really in danger is this just my brain coming in to tell me something's going wrong because it's an automatic response or what's actually happening here and give it a little bit of time She says, you know, if we just, if we belong to one another and we wonder about the other, let me wonder about them. She said, even a simple thing, like you can look at somebody and think, I wonder what they want for dinner tonight. Or I wonder what they like for dinner. I wonder what their favorite ice cream is. I wonder what their favorite season is. Just even something... As simple and innocuous and really unimportant as that. It just opens up the mind to consider something different. Huh, I wonder. I wonder what they need. I wonder what they like. I wonder what's happening for them. And then she says, when we wonder, what happens is we expand the circle. And to consider who else is one of us. Because what happens and what has happened in this great divide is we're dealing with and and enacting the paradigm of us versus them. There's us and then there's them. All them thems out there who are, you know, bad and dangerous. And... If we expand the circle to say, okay, who else is part of us? Oh, wait a minute, everybody is part of us. If we all belong together and we belong to one another, then we start to drop that us versus them. You know, our neurobiology has us wired to us and them, right? It's like neurological that we automatically go to protect ourselves. And that's because, you know, the world can be very dangerous and as you know primates we want to make sure that our survival is the most important thing so we are wired to automatically the minute we see somebody friend or foe like we just go straight to that dichotomy are they going to be friendly am I safe with this person or is this somebody that I'm not safe with at all so that is just an automatic response and it happens before we even have a conscious thought it's just visceral She says there are hormones that release in this uh, sort of discernment process that make empathy difficult. If we feel that we are threatened by somebody, we're not going to feel sorry for them, and we're not going to imagine what's going on for them. There won't be an empathetic response. We are accustomed to seeing those we don't know as threatening. What this does is create hate and fear stereotypes, and stereotypes are built on a history of white supremacy in our world. It's as simple as that. And it's worldly. It's not just in our country, although we are really seeing the rise of this again in our country. Not the rise of it, it's been here, but we're seeing it in a way we haven't seen it for a good long time. It's all over the world and those stereotypes are built on hate and fear. And so it's it's born out of that Uh, It it builds on that neurological, uh uh-oh, I'm not safe. Ooh, really? They're not safe? Great. Let's feed them more, 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 and we'll get that hate going. We'll get that fear going, and then we will rise to the top. That's the mechanism of it. If we work to see no stranger, if everyone we see, no matter how differently they look, is not a stranger, we will see in them the part of ourselves that we do not yet no. It's a beautiful principle to just keep returning to again and again. And then she said something else that I really loved also, which is because this is neurological and because uh, neurobiological, sorry, and because it's such an automatic response, we are not responsible for our first reaction. If we see somebody that we have been taught to believe is dangerous or a problem or threatening, we are not responsible for our first reaction to that because we aren't trained to believe it's true. We are breathing, we've been breathing racism in, in the very air for centuries. And even prior to that, we, if you believe in past lives like I do, you know, it's in our cellular memory. This is just like, it has become part of who we are. So we are not responsible for that first reaction. However, we are responsible for what comes next. And we must ask ourselves, after we have that response, notice it. Oh, there it was. Wow, I just saw somebody with that colored skin and I had that reaction. Oh, 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 there it was. Okay, I'm not responsible that I had that reaction, but what now? What next? We keep asking ourselves, what now? And what next? How can I do that differently now and next? I can't necessarily control what has been wired in my neurobiology, but my consciousness can rise to that level to the point where I notice it's operative and I can make a choice to do something differently. And what we do differently is wonder, who is that person? What did they have for breakfast today? Who do they love? so I'm going to ask you if you would to close your eyes and go within'm going to lead us in a very simple meditation today really not very complicated at all so if you would close your eyes, go within take a nice deep breath and let it all go re-establish your connection to your grounding core deep in the earth that we put down there at the very beginning when we created sacred space. And if you came in after, then go ahead and ground yourself to the earth now. And then bring your attention to your third eye in the center of your forehead. Imagine it like an actual eye, just like your other two. Go ahead and open it up and look out through it into your imagination. And find yourself back in your past somewhere, to a time when you were in a state wonder. A time when you were wondering about something you had just encountered and knew nothing about. So not a time when you were worrying or wondering about how to fix something or change something, but just something new. Huh, what's that? Now for many of us that might be our childhood before we were expected to know anything. Like when we were young enough that our wonder Was not only expected as part of our growth and development, but it might have even have been perceived as delightful by others. Oh, look at them wondering, isn't that the sweetest thing? In other words, go back to a time when it was safe to simply wonder. Perhaps you were wondering about something in nature, you know, encountering the rough bark of a tree for the first time, or the way a beam of sunlight came through the window and warmed your skin. Maybe it was the mystical moon in the night sky. Just go back there for a moment to that state of pure wonder. Now, if you don't have a conscious memory of that level of wonder and that safety to wonder, then use your imagination and imagine what it must be like to wonder about something and be completely free and safe enough to do it. And now bring your awareness to your body. And notice any sensations that you may be feeling at this time of wonderment. Did, does wondering warm you or make your breath come faster? Do you feel anything in your heart or a smile on your face? Notice how it feels to be free to wonder and how that specifically feels in your precious and holy body. Good. Now, In a moment, I'm going to ask us to take another deep breath together and in that breath to imagine that this feeling of safety, the safety to wonder and how perfectly fine and natural and even good it is that you don't know something, that you don't have to know about something or somebody that you can just wonder. Let your breath spread that feeling everywhere within you, your mind, your body, your soul. We're going to let this feeling of wonder reach into each and every cell of our makeup. And so let's do it now. Let's breathe it in and exhale and feel that sense of wonder and the safety to wonder permeate our entire being on every level. And do that for the next breath or two. It might even extend beyond your body into your aura and your energetic field through all of your chakras flowing in your bloodstream, in and out of your lungs as you breathe, every part of your consciousness safe to wonder. And then take another deep breath and gently come back here. So, like i said earlier revolutionary love is not just a rush of emotion that we usually think of when we think of love but it is the love that is sweet labor it is an ongoing task and we know this labor is necessary and it's been necessary for a long while but we may still ask ourselves why this work is going to be effective now like we've known this for a long time and our world's been in trouble for a long time and goodness knows injustice and racism has been going for a very long time. So what's the difference now? Like, Why should we practice this now? And the reason, Valerie says, is because there has been an awakening. There has been an awakening as possibility, an opportunity to use love as a force for healing. So what she means by that is that racism and hate is no longer hidden. Like you'd have to really be living under a rock to not be aware of what's going on in our world and in particularly in this country, here in America. It's blatant. That was one of the gifts, I think, of the last administration and what it gave to us to bring to the surface, the forces hidden for so long that have kept the institutions built on fear and hate alive and well and way too powerful in doing harm. It's blatant now. It's right out there for all to see. In fact, there's been like a, like, a, like an, a some bravery that's come behind it, where people are making their racist statements loud and clear as if, uh, and righteously, uh, righteously, they, as if they are righteous, as if saying it loud and clear makes it true, makes it okay makes it less harmful it's just blatant it's we are no longer in denial of this that is an awakening and it provides an opportunity for us to do things differently because there it is it's not hidden we can't be duped any longer and we have awakened now we have awakened to it and we can easily see and find where it thrives so let's not stay in denial any longer which is really a way of giving up on love when we stay in denial of the harm that's being done we are giving up on love so oriel's going to sing to us about that and remind us how not to give up on love
3: to your eyes, it's like watching the night sky, or a beautiful sunrise, where well, there's so much they hold. Just like them old stars, I see that you've come so
0: So beautiful, my friend. Thank you so much for your music, and I also I love how you changed it to "She knows we're worth it" at the end. There, it was perfect. Thank you so much. So, my friends, as twenty twenty two rolls out before us, and we look forward to in bulk in just a few short weeks, the beginning of spring. May we continue to stir the revolution of our heart. May we look upon each other and everyone we meet, even those we think we already know well, with wonder, and remember to think, you are a part of me that I don't yet know. May this love that we are cultivating be a strong force for healing and do its magic everywhere it is needed in the world, including within ourselves, especially within ourselves, so that we can be part of the healing force for the highest good of all, blessed be.